0: I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, You are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar, and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Let's pray. Our Father in God, as we come to this text, this very powerful text that can cause all of us to examine ourselves, we pray, Father, and thank you that we are so encouraged by that which we have sung and by praying for others this morning and by giving. But Father, we're so grateful this morning that you gave, you gave out of your precious love by sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you and praise you for the boldness of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in coming to die for sin, but the boldness in even convicting men and also challenging men on that which they professed we pray, Father, this morning that you'd use the Word of God. Help us, Father, to allow the Word of God to take root, to run its course in our life. Father, the distractions that can come our way, we are so mindful of the fact that Satan seeks to blind the hearts and the minds. We pray that the Holy Spirit would overpower, that the Word of God would accomplish its purpose in accordance with Hebrews chapter 4. And that, Father, as it goes forth today, you would get all the honor and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good question to start with today. Descendants of whom? Those of you who have been with us on a regular basis know that we are still in the Feast of Tabernacles. And by God's grace, we have today and one more message. Then we will be leaving the... Feast of Tabernacles, anyway, in our text. We have been in the Feast of Tabernacles and talking about it, and since chapter 7, I will not go back there right now. Verse 37, we saw that we have come to the end of it, but there's still a lot of things that are going on. And the Feast of Tabernacles, for the benefits particularly of those who have not been with us on a regular basis, and this Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration. It was a time of celebration in which they reflected on the delivery that they were given from slavery in Egypt. They were celebrating God's presence being with them, God tabernacling with his people in the Old Testament in the form of a cloud and fire. They were celebrating God's leading, God's guiding, God's directing in their life, God's provision. Through all of those years of wilderness wanderings, it was a joyous week-long, spectacular—I don't think we could do anything else other than give it that type of wording—spectacular Thanksgiving celebration that went on. What a tremendous event! It included such things as them living in boots or temporary housing, like our uh, fellowship camp during the summer, where we come and we don't live here, but we pitch the tent, pitch the tents, and so forth, and and so on. It was that type of occasion. There was food, fellowship, festive, uh, festive activities, the things that we like today, you know. And uh, there was singing, there was dancing, there was worship. We saw all of that uh, that has gone on. But during that time, important to our text and leading up to today's study, Jesus has been in their midst. He has been there at that celebration. And he has been teaching and instructing them. Specifically, the things that I want to emphasize this morning, he has been instructing them who he is. Keeping in mind the brief review that I just did, he has been instructing them and has taught them that he indeed is the presence of God. He's the presence of God among them right now. He indeed is the true Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament the one that they've been looking forward to coming. He has taught them that it is He, Jesus Christ, who is the source of life. It is Jesus Christ who is the living water, all reflected in what was going on at that feast. He has taught them that He is the light of the world. Let's not confuse that. I know exactly the text that Pastor Chris was referring to this morning in Matthew. But it is Jesus Christ who is the light of the world then we as children of God, certainly according to Philippians, are to let that light shine now before men. But he is the light of the world. As a result of his instruction, as a result of his teaching at this week-long feast that has been going on, many had become hostile. Let's just look at one verse there, verse 20 of chapter 8. Many had become hostile toward him and wanted to seize him. And again, we're going to come to it in the text this morning. They wanted even to kill him. They wanted to dispose of this teacher who would dare say that he is the presence of God, dare say that he is the Messiah, dare say that he's the living water, dare say that he's the source of life, and that he is the light of the world. So many wanted to kill him. However, according to verse 30 of the text, leading closer to where we are, others had believed on him, according to the text, As he spoke these things, many had come to believe on him. Now, we have now seen in our study what that means is many had come to give a profession of belief in that which he had taught. It is what we called a profession of faith. As they have given a profession of faith, then the Lord Jesus Christ turned his attention specifically, let's see this again, specifically to those who said they believed him. Look at verse 31. Now, there, Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Referring right back to verse 30. He is talking to those who say, if you will, to use our terminology, Christ is my Savior. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I Am a Christian, if you will. He's directing his attention specifically to those who make that profession. And I will say again, we are living in a time in which very frequently when someone makes a profession of faith, everybody jumps for joy, which we should do. But we are very quick to give assent to that profession of faith, number one. And secondly, oftentimes we are very quick to even convince the person who's made the profession, no matter what comes along in their life, that they're saved because they said a certain prayer or they did a certain mechanical thing. I want you to notice that that is not the way the Lord Jesus Christ reacted. And I think that's the way we should not react, by the way. Joyous when we're sure, yeah. He challenged the genuineness. Though many believed on him, he immediately had directed his attention, verse 31, to those who said they now believed. That's who he's talking to. This isn't my opinion. That's verse 31. He's directing it to them, and he challenged that profession. Basically to say if they were a true Christian, if they were a real believer, if their profession of faith is genuine, certain things will transpire. Now, why did he do this? For both a negative reason and a positive reason that I want you to catch again. The negative reason was so that they wouldn't be self-deceived, so that they wouldn't go through life saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Then they die. Someone has their funeral. They stand before God, and God, before God, they're, they're standing there, and they say, Haven't I've done many wonderful things in thy name. And I profess to know God, and he says, I never knew you. Who in the world are you? Get out of here. Get out of my presence. And they end up in hell forever. So one of the reasons he challenges them, he doesn't want them to be self-deceived. The second thing is a very positive thing. He wants them to have assurance. And I guarantee in this auditorium, that is something that all Christians want. To have assurance so that they know they didn't just mouth words, so that they didn't just say something or do something, And it's real that it's truly the condition of their heart and life. And so that's why he's challenging them. And what he is challenging them with is this. If they have truly trusted in Christ, they will, number one, persevere. That was verse 31. They will abide in my word. You will continue. You will not fade. You will not disappear. You will not desert the things of God. Many, many things could be said in that area. Secondly, they will truly be free. That was last week's message. They will truly be free. That is, they will be freed from the bondage of sin and death. They will be grounded in truth. Thus, a true child of God continues on in the things of God, number one. And secondly, sin no longer has dominion over them. Sin no longer is controlling their life. That is an evidence. And by the way, that's an evidence for you, and it's an evidence for me. Now, they reacted to that in verse 33. In verse 33, they answered him and said, We are Abraham's offspring. That was one aspect to it. In other words, they are the descendants. Literally, the word is, they are the seed. They are the sperm, if you want. That's literally what it is. Of Abraham. And he goes on to say a second aspect. They were not anybody's slave. So there's two aspects of last week's message that they respond to. And as we addressed that last week, we saw that Jesus, in that message, addressed the second aspect in verses 34 to 36, which brings us right up to date. In verses 34 to 36, he addressed the second aspect, the slavery. And he essentially pointed this out. Everyone is a slave. You are either a slave to sin are a slave to God. You, uh, everyone might not think they're a slave, but whoever your master is that's controlling you, you are giving in to. And in that text, he was showing how basically even those who don't realize it are controlled by sin, and that is their master. That is verses 34 to 36. So the sinner is a slave to sin, verse 34, and that Jesus is the only one who can provide personal freedom That's truly freedom, verse 36, freedom indeed from the power of sin. That was last week. Now we we come to this week's part of the text, and he goes back to the first comment that they made when they said in verse 33, we are of Abraham's seed. He's already addressed the second. Now he goes back to the first. He addresses their patronage. He addresses their offspring. He addresses their descent. He addresses their seed, if you will. And Jesus deals with it by pointing to three potential fathers, as I have in your outline. One is Abraham, the second one is God, and the third one is the devil or Satan. It is important to note a couple of things right away this morning in case you get tuned off on some of the things that we say later on. I'm going to give it to you right away. What he will deal with in verses 37 to 47 shows this very important point. You will know who your father is based on your life. Got it? The actions that come out of your life, the lifestyle that you are pursuing, the works that are seen in your life. You can say anything you want. Your lifestyle, your actions, your works, not your profession, will point to who your father is. You cannot escape it. It will point to who your father is. Your lifestyle and your actions truly indicate whether or not you belong to God. We show who we are by the way we live. It is our pattern of life, not our profession of faith. I wanted to share with you a brief testimony on this uh, this morning. It's going to be very brief. It comes from the Voices of the Martyrs, which I know many of you read. And it's a man by the name of Cho Young Han. And what I want to get to is just a couple of things that uh, he recently uh, had been quoted on. He's uh, in China. On January 18th of 2003, he was arrested And he was sentenced to imprisonment, by the way, by the Chinese government for five years. Okay? Listen to this. He was interrogated and tortured every day of his first three months in prison. Every day. And they questioned him over and over. Why are you helping these people? Referring to Christians. Why? Who is working with you? Are you a Christian? Cho's answer was this. Yes, I am a Christian. I believe in only one God, and I want you to catch this because it was last week's message. As his servant, I serve him alone. He then went on, and because of what was happening, he was transferred to a prison camp on Christmas Day in 203. And when he was transferred uh, to this prison camp, he had greater opportunities to evangelize those fellow cellmates. Many of them became believers, and then they started to make crosses and so forth and distribute them among the prisoners. They held secret worship services in the prison. And when authorities learned of it, listen to this. When we learned of the services, they increased surveillance and beatings. Cho was labeled very dangerous, and interrogators began to inject him and other Christians with various drugs hoping to break their spirit. The gods told me to keep quiet, and here's what his response was. If I didn't share the gospel, I would not be a Christian. Got that? In other words, he said, because of who I am, I share the gospel. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. It doesn't matter whether you inject me with drugs. My lifestyle shows who I am, and I've got to share him how embarrassing that is to those who turn around and have a difficulty sharing it with your neighbor or your fellow workers, our lifestyle will show. Now, I want to make one other thing clear as I go on this morning. Two things that we need to remember. As we talk about, our lifestyle demonstrates it. This is not how we get saved. You get saved by the grace of God. You get saved because God does a work. It is not through being good. It is not through going to church. It is not through reading your Bible. It is not through having a nice group of social friends. It is not through anything that we do of ourselves that we get saved. So works do not produce salvation. Salvation only is provided by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor, secondly, catch this one, are we saying that once I am saved, then my life is perfect. That's not so at all. Sometimes we think because we come and we get under the conviction of the word that everybody's life has to be perfect and nothing goes wrong. No, not at all. For example, let me give you two quick examples of people that you know. One is Paul. Paul, who I look up to tremendously, and I'm sure you do, said in the scripture, the things I want to do, I don't end up doing. The things I don't want to do, uh I gotta get that right? The things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. Now I got it right, okay? That's what Paul said. Why? Because he failed. Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter at the end of his epistles, I think it's the very last verse that Peter penned, what he said is grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes growth. So we're not talking about perfection because the Christian has to walk by faith. He walks by the grace of God. What we are talking about, though, is that our pattern of life will reveal who we are, whether we have life or we don't have life. Okay, And the first one he deals with is Abraham, verses 37 to 40. Let's go. When we talk about Abraham in verses 37 to 40, Abraham was a vital patriarch of the Jewish faith, and people know that. It was through Abraham that God promised blessings to come, both the land, that is where Israel was to be, the seed, that is, through which the Messiah would come, and that through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, including the nation of Israel and its founding and so forth. So favor with God came through Abraham. So he was a very essential patriarch. The names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are key in the Scriptures. And I want you to notice that frequently in Scripture, the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph were given to identify who God is. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God would often identify himself in Scripture throughout as being the God of Abraham. So he is a very, very essential figure. And they said that Abraham then is our seed. And I want you to notice in verse 37 that Jesus grants them the acknowledgement of physical descent. That's important. Physical descent. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's seed or offspring. They were the physical descent of Abraham. By the way, today there's still that debate even among the Muslims because they go back to Abraham and so forth. I want you to see what the scriptures say. Just two verses. Go with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. These are verses that you should somehow mark in your Bible because it identifies who the children of Abraham are physically. <clears throat> Psalm 105, verse 6. O seed of Abraham, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He's referring to Israel. They are the seed of Abraham. They are the sons of Jacob. They are the chosen people of God. Go to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. Verse 8. If it wasn't clear in that passage, it certainly will be in this one. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. The people of God are the is- Israelites. That's who God had chosen. They are the physical descendants of Abraham. And so that's what he's consenting to back in John chapter 7. He's recognizing that. The problem is, verse 37, they were seeking to kill Jesus. Verse 37 says, yet, though you are the physical descent, in other words, verse 37, you seek to kill me. Why was that? They were seeking to kill him. And by the way, Abraham, we're going to see next week, was looking forward to the Messiah coming. Here they have the Messiah in their midst, and they're looking to kill him. Why were they doing that? He tells us in verse 37. The reason is because my word has no place in you. Why is it that they were seeking to kill Jesus Christ? God's word had no place in them. Now that expression in the Greek means this. It had no progress. The Word of God was making no, literally, headway in them. It was making no advancement in them. The Word of God was being preached by Jesus Christ, just like I'm preaching right now. The Word of God gets preached. They heard it with their ears, but it was making no progress. It was bearing no fruit. It was making no headway so that we understand that this term was used in classical Greek in two things that I think we can relate to. One was in the growing of a plant, that the seed was able to continue to grow. It was also used by way of investments, that someone would put money in the bank and then it would grow. That investment would, its seed would basically have what it's talking about in verse 37, a place. It would have an advancement. So what he was saying to them is his message was heard by them intellectually. Intellectually, according to verse 30, they believed it. Intellectually, they gave assent and profession of faith to it. However, the word of God never advanced any further. It became book knowledge. It became academic. It became a means of communication, I believe. But there was no reality to it. It wasn't advancing in the life. The plant wasn't growing. And obviously we could go back to the seeds that were sown. Some fall in stony ground and so forth. Some the world choke it out and so forth. But it wasn't growing. There was no maturity happening. There was no evidence that there was real seed there. That's what he's talking about. Their lives had not changed. The words were there. But even as anyone could observe, the reality was not. When someone has truly trusted in Christ, I want you to get it right away, your life will change. Not by you forcing the change. It's because God's seed is in you, because you've been born from above. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and he says this. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it. What does that mean? Watch. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is. What is that? The word of God. They accepted it the right way. Now watch this which also performs its work in you who believe. When a person's come to know Christ and they hear the word of God, it changes them from glory to glory. The life is changed, not because they're forcing it on their own. The word of God has taken root and is changing the life that was seen in the Thessalonians. That's what we're dealing with in John chapter 8. Go back there. You see, they said they belonged to Abraham, physically they did, verse 37. But they were seeking to kill Jesus doesn't line up. Why did it not line up? Because the word of God that they've been hearing over and over and over was just words. No reality. Oh, they had their little cliques in the synagogue. Oh, they went to church. Oh yeah, they did some certain things, but the reality was there was no it wasn't seen. That it was an ongoing thing coming out of the life. And so in verse 38, he states a principle. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father, therefore you also do the which you have heard of your Father. We will imitate the one that we belong to. That's what he's saying. If you belong to God, you'll imitate him. You will follow him. I have a question for you right away. Ask yourself this, me too. Is God's Word making progress in your life? Really? Do you see that when you read the Word of God, it changes you? Or do you have to force yourself to try to change it yourself? If there's real life, it'll change. I've used the illustration over and over about a baby. A baby shows it's got life by what it does. It cries, it wants food, it needs a parent around and how you can ever make a profession of faith and not read the word of God, not want to be around Christians because of all of the problems in Christianity. However, you, you don't need, where's the life? Where's the evidence? Where's God's word making progress in the life? That won't happen. The bottom line is, they are not Abraham's spiritual seed. Look at verses 39 and 40. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father right? In verse 39, if Abraham, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Why would he say that when he already said that they were the seed? They were the physical seed, but they were not the spiritual seed of Abraham. Verse 40, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. What did Abraham do? Abraham basically believed God and if I can't do it because of time. But if we went back to Genesis chapter 12, God said, leave your family, do this, and follow me. What did he do? He left. He didn't just say he believed God. He went. By the time you come to verse 15, God says it'll be like your seed will be like the stuff. He believed. He was an old man. Your wife is going to have a child. When you guys are of the age of 190, I am going to let her birth a child. Right. No. He believed God, and he acted on it. He acted on it. He believed God. And the bottom line is, by the way, Israel should have known this. I'm going to give you the reference to save me time. But Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 made it very clear that the Jews should have known that there was a distinction between the physical seed and the spiritual seed. They didn't have to wait for Romans that you and I read. Romans chapter 2 makes it very clear that not everyone who is Abraham's physical seed is Abraham's spiritual seed. The real Jew is the one who is the Jew on the inside, or if you will, by application to Israel, the real Jew is the one who is both a physical descent and one that's been changed on the inside. They should have known that. The physical was to come from his seed. The spiritual was to come from above, and it changes the inside. You and I have been born physically or we wouldn't be in this room. But to be born of God has got to be a life that comes in from above. There's got to be a spiritual relationship. And so he says to them, basically, in these verses through forty, he said, yes, you're of the physical descent of Abraham, but your works don't line up with Abraham. Thus, you've only met that qualification. You are not part of his spiritual seed. If you were, you would do what he did, and that is follow and believe me. That brought them into the second area of challenge. They appealed to a higher standard. Watch. Verses 41 to 43. You were doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. I'll explain that in a minute. But we have one father, even God. What happens? Again, the life will prove who you are. It's clearly throughout the text. They attack the Lord Jesus Christ possibly here. Why? In referring to one being born of fornication, they may be, possibly attacking Jesus Christ personally. Why? Because he was born of Mary, but she was pregnant, remember, and Joseph wasn't the father, and they knew that. That is possibly what they're attacking here, directly right at him. We're not born of fornication. You were, even though we know that that's not the case because he was born of the Holy Spirit. Or the second possibility that fits the context, by the way, before we jump on that one, is when they say they were not born of fornication, They may be referring to the fact of their purity as a Jew. What do you mean? They were not Samaritans. And after the captivity of Babylon, what happened was there were mixed marriages. And they were not supposed to mix the marriages, but it happens. That's why they look down on the Samaritan people. And what they're saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you got it wrong. We're of Abraham and we're of God because we're of the pure line. Why would you say that's a possibility, Pastor Dan? Look at verse 48. Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they saw themselves as distinct from that. I'm not sure exactly which one, but they both fit the context. The point that I want you to get is they are appealing to God as their father. My friend, this is what universally happens today. Listen, do not be fooled Biets. People continuously today say this: "God is my father. I belong to God. I believe God. I believe in God." Because I'm losing time, I'm going to tell you right now: If they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, they do not have God as their father, no matter what they say. These Jews who profess trust in Christ, have already been shown. You really do not have Abraham as your father. Physically, maybe, but not in a spiritual sense. And now they appeal to God. Let me clarify this. God is the father of all creation. Go with me to Acts 17 for just a minute. Acts chapter 17. An important distinction needs to be made here. So when you're talking with your neighbors and they appeal... Well, God's my Father. I'm appealing to God. Well, there is a sense in which all of creation can refer to God as their Father. Because why? He created everything. This is not the only reference. There's plenty in Ephesians, by the way. But in Acts chapter 17, just look at verse 26. This is at Mars Hill where they were appealing to the unknown God. Watch what is said to them by Paul. And he made from every one... Watch, verse 26. He made from everyone, he made from one, excuse me, every nation of mankind, watch, to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of the habitation. He points out the fact that God made all of mankind to live on the earth. In that sense, God is the father of everybody. But as far as salvation goes, Absolutely not. We've already learned it. Go back with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, that is Jesus Christ, the word of God, the one sent of God, To them he gave, watch, the right to what? Become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Watch verse 13. Who were not born of blood. You see, because we have physical blood in us and physical life, we are children of God. But salvation is dealing with people who are not born of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, verse 13, but of God. Salvation needs to be distinct. And as far as salvation goes, to say you belong to God, that he is truly your father spiritually, you must come through Jesus Christ. Period. So while we're all children of God by birth and creation, the only children of God are the ones who have come the way God has detected and determined by the way and how would that be go back to John 8 verses 42 and 43 Jesus said watch conditional if God were your father indicating by the way he's not you would do what love me love who Jesus Christ you can't possibly say that God is your father you can't possibly say I'm trusting God I don't know about Jesus Christ but I'm trusting God. We've already seen that. In chapter 5 of the same book, by the way, back in verse 23, it said this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears the, my words and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Who's that? Verse 23. In order that all may honor the Son, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. You see? He's saying to the Jews, you say you know God. You say God's your father, and you're going to want to kill me, Jesus says, It doesn't line up. So while the world around us today is doing the same thing, God's my father. If they are rejecting Jesus Christ, they are not a believer. Oh, they may intellectually believe, but they really are not a believer. Why? According to verse 42 and verse... 43, not only will they love him because he proceeds by the way, and he and the Father are in it together. That's verse 42. Now moving along. Verse 43, why do you not understand my saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. The person that doesn't hear the word of God and have a response to it, and it doesn't have its way in that life, is not a believer, it's only a professor. Because when the word of God is heard and taken in, and the only one that can do that is a person who has had their heart and their, their mind enlightened by the spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 14. Because the natural mind does not receive the things of the spirit of God. The evidence of knowing God, the Father will be you love Jesus Christ, and the word of God will be taking its way in your life. The reality of the third alternative is something that the world doesn't want to consider as we wrap it up. And I guarantee no one in this audience wants to consider it. Nobody talks about it. Don't want to consider it. Don't want to see it as a possibility. And that is that a person's father is the devil. People love to go on the streets and say, God's my father. And never even consider while you're saying that, it may be that your father is truly Satan. Look at the frightening statements in verses 44 to 47. How's this for bluntness? Remember this. Verse 31. Jesus is talking to the Jews who said they believed in him, who had believed in him. They made a profession of faith. Verse 44. You are of your father. Who is he? The devil. They profess faith. Why did he say this? Because he was mean. No. No. He wanted them not to be self-deceived. He wanted them to have assurance. And right now they were self-deceived. They thought they were the children of God. They thought they knew God. They thought Abraham spiritually was their father. They thought they were on their way to heaven, if you will. And they had both feet in hell. Satan was their father. What was Satan? Let me summarize it. You look at verses 44 to 47. I already read them. According to this passage, Satan was a murderer. There's no truth in Satan. None. Satan what? Is a liar. Put it to you this way. A little truth with falseness is a lie. And Satan going way back to the Garden of Eden, right? What happened? Did God really say that? I can't tell you how many times I've heard professing Christians say that. Yeah, I, did God really say that? Is that really what it means? Well, I know God says that, but, you know, we're in a different culture today. You know, I think God said that in his word, but it hasn't got application to me. God doesn't understand all my circumstances. You know why you're saying that? It's because God's word is trying to show you where the problem is, and you won't listen because it's not making progress. That ought to cause you to go back and say, if it's not making progress, something's wrong. What were their actions? Their actions were to do just exactly what Satan did. What? Satan was a murderer? They want to kill Jesus. No truth was in him? They wouldn't believe the truth. Satan is a liar? They were lying about who Jesus was. Throughout the text, we've seen that already. And that is exactly what happens today. Jesus, well, I don't know if he's God. That's a lie. He is God. I don't know that Jesus is the only way. That's a lie. He is the only way. I don't know that, you know, you can't get to heaven a different way since God's the uh, the God of all people. He is the God of all people by creation. But the only ones that are his children who have come through Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. You see? Satan loves. Don't kid yourself. Satan wants to blind the hearts and the minds at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 so that you don't see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was doing that to them. Satan is an angel of light. He makes himself look good. We've been studying this on Sunday evenings and Sunday mornings before. He can even use miracles, my friend, to deceive people. You've got to know the word of God and you've got to know who Jesus Christ is. And fellow Christian who truly do know the Lord Jesus Christ and your lifestyle. Again, it's not perfection, but you're trying to walk with God and yield to the Spirit of God, and you fail and fall. Why? Because Satan is seeking to devour anyone he can devour. That's 1 Peter chapter 5. He's like a roaring lion and wants to eat us alive. Presents himself as an angel of light. You see? And the bottom line is there is no sin in Jesus, verse 46. He speak the truth, they wouldn't believe him. And he says to them, who convicts me of sin? That is everywhere evidence in scripture, by the way. He who knew no sin became sin for us. You cannot accuse Jesus Christ of sin. That is why he came. Out of the love of God, I understand that. And because God chose to send his son, yes. But he sent him because he's the only one that could satisfy a righteous and a holy God. We are all sinners, Jesus Christ is not. And he is the only way to God. The Jews wouldn't accept him as the Messiah. They wouldn't accept him. I have to wrap it up. What have you got here? The bottom line, I want you to see this before I give you the summarization, is verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. You got that? The life will show. You'll respond to the word of God. Oh, it hurts. The word of God is convicting. I'm telling you, I get convicted every single day, and God's my witness to what I'm saying. Every time, you think it's sometimes marvelous, you get to stay in the word of God all all day, Pastor Dan, and study the word of God. I wish I had that privilege. I'm going to tell you something. I get holes shot in me every time I open the word of God. Really, there's nothing left. But God picks it up and puts it back together. He does. We ought to come under conviction. Chastening is not good in the sense of our feeling, but it's wonderful because God shows us that we are children of God. You see, that's the word of God taking root in your life. To the unbeliever, what happens is nothing there. And he says to them, you are not of God. How in the world could he say to those in verse 30 and 31 who profess faith that they're not of God because he knew their hearts? And if you're here today and you've just made a profession of faith, and your life hasn't changed, and the Word of God is not changing you, and if somebody would look at your life and say, there's no difference. That's an evidence to you, not to kowtow down and say, oh, woe is me, let me get the Dan and throw some tomatoes at him, you know, and do all of this. No, the bottom line is get on your knees and say, God, I need salvation. I've had a mere profession, and the only one I'm fooling is myself because I can't fool you. And don't try to cling to genealogy. But my parents were saved and they grew up in Fellowship Bible Church. What's that got to do with your salvation? You have to be convicted yourself and come to saving knowledge of Christ yourself as God works in your heart. Don't cling to genealogy. My father and grandfather and grandfather's grandfather and grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was a pastor. So what? You can't cling to that. I was born in the United States of America. We're all Christians. No, we're not. The only thing that makes a person a Christian is those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, believed on him. What I'm trying to say to you is don't depend on your good works. Don't depend on a church. Don't depend on anything else. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what they needed. And listen, they had heard it and heard it and heard it, and there's some in this auditorium, no doubt in my mind, You've heard the message over and over and over, and you're refusing to come. Don't blame God when you die and stand before him and you're sent to hell. But to avoid that, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you'll be saved. And fellow believer, let me close with this. Is the word of God making headway in your life? I have to ask myself that. Is it making the progress that it really should? Is it making the headway in my life? If you belong to him, the word of God will make headway. You're not going to be perfect. Oh, you're perfect in your position in Christ. But day after day, you'll fail. Paul did. Peter did. The apostles did. I do. You will. But it ought to drive us to our knees. It ought to drive us to the spirit of God and allow him to have his way in our life. He'll change you from glory to glory. You'll see the changes taking place. You won't be perfect until you're in glory with him. But I tell you this, we've already learned it in this chapter. Sin will not have dominion over you. It will not be your lifestyle. You'll want the word more. You'll want believers more. And you'll want the teaching of the word. I just read a very tragic statistic last night. In Great Britain right now, there are approximately 10% of all of Great Britain that go to church. And 90% of that 10% are Muslims. It's the truth, based on the statistics that I looked at. And in the survey that was done, and this is not to excuse what I just did to you, so don't think I did that. The Lord knows my heart. But the bottom line in the statistics that I read was that professing Christendom does not want anything more than a 20-minute message from the Bible. And when it's given, they want entertainment with it. That's professing Christendom. All they want is to be entertained at a service. We ought to be thriving for this book. Thriving for this book because this is what's going to help us to grow. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and God, I thank you and praise you for the boldness of the Lord Jesus Christ to confront those that had made a profession of faith and to call them on the carpet. They were relying on the connection to Abraham. They were relying on the universality of God being the Father and never even crossed their mind that Satan could be their father. And yet, because of your love, you pointed out how while they were physical dissents, their actions showed that they were not spiritually the children of Abraham. that while they appealed to God, they did not do the works of God, and while they would never have looked to Satan, their lives through lies, through murder, through deception show that that's who they really belong to. Father, do you work among us? If there be anyone here that's made a profession of faith that has not truly trusted in Christ, bring them to conviction right now. Don't let the day pass that they would come to trust in Christ. Others maybe who, uh, for the first time, have been brought into conviction. Maybe they've heard the message over and over and over again and have been rejected. But Father... May the Holy Spirit do his work in their heart. Might they right there in the pew come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way, truth, and life, the only Messiah, the only one sent of you. And might they be saved. Father, those of us that know you, we know that, Father, the flesh is weak. We fail day in day out. We thank you for your grace and your love. Help us to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Might the word of God have its progress in our heart to change us from glory to glory so that you might get all the glory and that, Father, we might just be truly joyous, as we've talked about this morning, in knowing you, in knowing you're working through us. Thank you for this time. We pray these things and ask guidance for the meeting that will follow. pray in Jesus' name.